God in heaven, take my words and speak through them. Take our minds, think through them. Take our will and set them on fire for love of your Son, in whose name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Again, welcome. Uh, if anyone is on the lawn, a welcome to you as well. Uh, we are today wrapping up our sermon series, uh, which has been titled, Lessons from the Wilderness. Now that journey, their wilderness journey began on one side of the Red Sea, the final act of the deliverance from the people of God from slavery, the parting of the Red Sea, and the wilderness journey ends at the, another body of water, the Jordan River. Last week, in Numbers chapter 20, the people of God had finished uh, their wilderness journey for the most part. Their 40 years had come and gone. They were camped in a place called the Plains of Moab. They were looking right across the Jordan into the Promised Land. And even though that passage in Numbers chapter 20 is separated from this passage by many, many words, many chapters, an entire book almost, very little time has elapsed. Very little motion has occurred. God, God's people, the Israelites, are still in the same basic spot, looking over the river into the Jordan, over the Jordan into the Promised Land, the wilderness journey about to come to a close. I've divided our thoughts, my thoughts, into this, for this passage into three uh, sections. First section, we're going to consider uh, the name of this book, Deuteronomy. And we're actually going to think that, we're going to draw a conclusion that that name is actually not the best name for this book I don't say that just to needlessly critique the naming of a book, but it's going to provide a hopeful introduction to where we are in Deuteronomy chapter 30. So point number one, Deuteronomy, a misleading name. So if you break the name Deuteronomy, the fifth book of the Bible, into two parts, you can probably hear them. Duo, dudo means two, onomy, taxonomy, astronomy means law. So astronomy, the laws of the heavens. So put those two words together and you have the name of the book, Second Law. That's what Deuteronomy literally means. That is not the best title for this book. What happened was uh, the Bible was originally written in Hebrew, and the Hebrew pattern was to simply name the, name the books for the first word that occurred in the book. So the, what we call Deuteronomy, the Hebrews called, well, I include it in your sermon notes, which you can see I don't pronounce. How do you pronounce that, Stu? Ibrahim, very good. So that's how you would pronounce it, which basically means words. And that's the first word of Deuteronomy, the words of Moses. And the name Deuteronomy is misleading for two reasons. Number one, again, it means law, the second law. First reading, first reason that name is misleading, because Deuteronomy is really not comprised of legal material. It's not a litigious book. It's more of a covenantal book. There's a big difference between law and covenant. What's a covenant, you may ask? I'm glad you asked. A covenant is a, simply a, a formalized legal relationship. And secular bodies had, or, had covenants. So kings had covenants with their allies or kings had covenants with their servants. And actually, there's been a lot of research recently on the book of Deuteronomy that reveals there's a close parallel between just your average secular uh, covenant and the covenant that we have here. All covenants, including Deuteronomy from that time, begin with a historical backdrop. I, the king, on a secular sense, I've been good to you, my servant. And that's how the book of Deuteronomy begin, begins. I, God, have been good to the people of Israel. I've, etc., etc. The 
covenant always move on to um, stipulations of the covenant. Because I've been good to you, says the king, or in this covenant in Deuteronomy, because I've been good to you, people of Israel, you will respond in the following ways. So there's some requirements uh, to the covenant. The covenant moves on to blessings and curses, as does Deuteronomy. And for the chapters 20 to 28, we find the blessings of curses. If you do this, then you'll be blessed. If you don't do this, then you'll be cursed. And so the book of Deuteronomy is really not law. It's not giving law as much as it is stating a covenant. Further, the name duo suggests it's a second covenant or second law as in its additive. It's something new. Not the case. This is not a new covenant. It's simply a restatement of an old covenant. The covenant made to Abraham. The covenant restated to Moses. The covenant we've heard throughout uh, this wilderness journey. The covenant which basically says, I'm God. Worship me. Obey me. And it will go well. And if you don't worship, if you don't obey me, it will not go well. That's the same covenant made to, and by going well, I mean, there'll be, you'll have a land, uh, a land of promise, and you'll be a great people. And those, that is the, the covenant that is restated through the first 29 chapters of the book that we call Deuteronomy, which is actually not, neither a law nor a repetition of law. It is a restatement of a covenant. First point. Which brings us up to chapter 30. So for the past 29 chapters, Moses has been restating the covenants. If you do this, good things. If you don't do this, bad things. And we get to chapter 30, and it begins with what I call an ominous farewell. So to point two. And I say farewell because this is Moses' uh, last words, or close to his last words. And uh, it is ominous. And here's why it is ominous. Let's look at it together. Moses says in verses 1 through, th- 1 through 3, When you are among the nations, when you have been scattered to the various places. So Moses is looking off into the future, over past the time when God's people have made it into the promised land, past then, and they have been scattered from that promised land into the nations. In other words, chapters 1 through 29 say, if, if you disobey me, then you'll be scattered into the nations, right? Chapter 30, verse 1 says, not if, but when. When you are scattered into the nations, when you have disobeyed the covenant, and when you have received the just punishment of your your lack of faithfulness, then... You see, it's kind of an ominous farewell in that it anticipates God's punishment due to their covenantal disobedience. Everyone following? Which moves us to point number three. Within this ominous farewell, there is a surprising word of hope. And this is found in chapter 30 of verse 6. I'd like you to turn to that passage and have it in front of you. It's a very important passage. It's It's the first time we encounter this idea, but not the last time. In chapter 30, verse 6, God provides a remedy. And he says this, After you have been scattered, after you have broken the covenant, and I gather you back, verse 6, the Lord God will circumcise your heart so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and you may live. 
That's a radical statement. Notice what God does not do. He does not restate the covenant. Again, that's what Deuteronomy is. It's, it's a common parenting method that I would use when my parent, when my children, quote, break the covenant. They disobey me. I would say, child, come. Perhaps you did not understand the stipulations of our covenant. When I say you are to do this, you are to do that. And if you don't do that, you will receive a just uh, just punishment, and if you do do this, in other words, I would simply clarify the covenant. I'm using the covenant a little loosely here, but notice that's not what God says. He does not add another, it's not a deuteronomy, a triple-onomy, a quadruple-onomy. God does not say, wait, 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 let me clarify for you again. Maybe you missed it the first time. What I really want from you is your trust, which is expressed in your worship, which is followed by your obedience. Maybe you didn't get that. No, God does not restate his covenant for the old heart. He gives a new heart for the old covenant. Make sense? It's a radical change. And it is radical. The heart is not just emotions. We think heart, mind, emotions, thought. Not in the Bible's point of view. The heart simply meant what the person loves, who the person is at their, at their core. What do you love? What do you desire most? That is uh, the person's heart. And a circumcision is simply a vivid imagery of something that's been completely remade. And we find this thread throughout the Bible of this anticipation that God's people will one day be completely remade from the inside out. I think this is the first time we find this idea, but not the last. It shows up in the prophets Ezekiel, Jeremiah. I will give them a heart of stone. I will give them a heart of flesh that will replace their heart of stone. Same idea, different imagery. Or Jesus' words to Nicodemus, you must be born again. Another radical transformation. Or the Apostle Paul, if anyone's in, in Christ, they are a new creation. Different imagery, same radical idea of a new, entirely new person. So let me summarize the problem that God's people face as they wandered in the wilderness, the promise that really all of God's people face in all times are not the problems that are out there that we encounter in the wilderness. We saw that last week. The problems that God's people face are not an understanding of God's word and his will. Wait, 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 what did you say? That's not the problem. The problem with God's people in the wilderness or in any time is a problem of the heart, that we do not love the things that we ought to love. And the remedy, identified here, repeated throughout the Bible, is a complete renovation, a new creation, born again, a heart of flesh, a circumcised heart. And I want to conclude our thoughts this morning by three suggestions of how you and I can get what the Bible says we need to have. That is a circumcised, renewed, reborn heart. Again, follow along in your notes. I think the first way, the first thing that we have to do in order to get what the Bible says we need, that being a new heart, is we have to recognize that our old heart is just not that good. Let's look at what the new heart will look like so we can draw some com comparisons. The new heart, with the new heart, the circumcised heart, you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. 
and you will again obey the voice of the Lord. You will keep all his commandments. In other words, the new heart is the heart that's marked by love of God and responds with obedience to him. By implication, the old heart, what we have now, is not those things. We do not love God naturally. The only thing that you and I love with any consistency is ourselves. We all have an entrenched egocentricity, and this is humorously displayed in the movie Beaches. The main character says, sitting across the table from a friend says, well, enough, enough talking about me. Let's talk about you. What do you think of me? <laughs> Humorous, but true. The favorite subject for any of us, it's not, it's, it's, it's me, it's you. The favorite, name, favorite word for any of us is your own name. We all have an entrenched egocentricity, what C.S. Lewis called a monstrous individuality. And so the first step in getting a new heart is to recognize that the old heart just needs some very serious renovation. We do not love what we ought to love as we ought to love it. None of us. None of us. How's that happen? How do we begin to reckon with our own heart? I, I wish I could tell you here, take this, read this. I'll tell you what happened for me. Just a few weeks ago, I was reading the Psalms and in the, in the same way, the, the Hebrews referred to the books of the Bible by the first word, so verbrim for uh, Deuteronomy, the words. The Latin monks used, to, monks used to refer to the Psalms by the first few words in Latin. So uh, in your prayer book, you'll find each prayer book begins with, each psalm begins with a little Latin phrase. I was reading Psalm 115, and I stumbled on this phrase, non nobis domine. Non nobis domine. I actually looked it up on, YouTube, on Google, and there's a very beautiful choral piece that accompanies Henry V, uh, the, the play Henry V. It's, it's worth watching, non nobis domine. Translated, it means not to us, Lord. It's the first part of an entire line which reads, not to us, Lord, but to your name give glory. And I don't know why that struck me as it did, but I just had a reminder of how small-minded I am, how petty I can be, how all my thoughts turn back to me. And it's begun a little bit of a watchword when I hear feel myself drawn to self-pity or to pride or to envy, this little Latin phrase, non nobis domine, not to me, Lord, not to us, Lord, but to you, give glory. You see, the old heart is not bad just because it is guilty of a few misdeeds. Oops, I did that. Oops, I shouldn't have done that. Now, the old heart needs renovation because the old heart is helplessly and hopelessly curved in upon itself. Lord, give us a new heart because the one I have just doesn't work as it ought. Step number two. Step number two to get what the Bible says I need is to realize that the heart we have now, that being a heart of stone, an uncircumcised heart, a heart that does not love God, that does not respond in obedience, comes with a 
justified punishment. You heard the curses of the punishment uh, throughout Deuteronomy. You will be banished. You will be exiled. God's promised land will turn into a wasteland, burning with salt, etc. The old heart comes with a justifiable punishment. And Christians, as we believe, the, Christian, the central Christian belief is that God placed the punishment of a broken covenant on his son, Jesus Christ. And he paid for the debt that was not his for you and me. Now, let me illustrate this a little bit more. There are many stories from this wilderness journey that we didn't touch. There's so many great stories. One story is the story of the serpent in the wilderness. We have some familiarity with this, maybe. God's people were sick. God tells Moses, get a staff, put a snake on the staff, hold the staff up. People will look into it and be saved. Now, there's recently been an archaeological discovery around the same time, around the same place where God's people must, the story must have occurred, and lo and behold, they found a temple, and they found inside that temple a copper snake, suggesting some connection between that find and the biblical story. The interesting thing was that the snake they found was only five inches long, not some huge... See, I'd always envisioned the story something like this. Moses holds up the big snake, Big staff in the air. People can look. Oh, there it is. I feel better. Jesus actually referenced this story when he, uh, in John chapter 3, he said, just as the Son of Man was lifted up, just as the snake was lifted up, so must the Son of Man be lifted up so that all who look to him will be saved. The point being is that the snake was small. He had to get up close and personal. By implication, it is never good enough for you and me to take a Cursory look at the cross. Yep, Jesus died for the sins of the world. And off we go. You have to be up close and personal. At some point in time, the truth that not just Jesus died for the whole world, but Jesus died for you, for me. So the second point to get the heart that we need, the new heart, the born-again heart, is to reckon with the curse of the covenant and he who was cursed. Third and final. Third and final is to rely on the resources that God provides for a new heart. Again, think of what the, new, the qualities of the new heart. You will again obey the voice. You will again keep all his commandments. You will, will again love the Lord your God. In some regards, it's no use in telling me to love something that I cannot love on my own. It's like telling me to, you can see your sermon notes as well. It's like telling me to write like William Shakespeare. I can't. I'm not him. But if the genius of William Shakespeare could somehow come and live within me, well, maybe then I could write like he wrote. And if a little bit of the Spirit of God could come and live inside me, and then maybe I could live the way that he wants me to live. When you and I turn and place our faith in Jesus, God gives to each one of us a resource to enable us to love and obey him. The spirit of Christ working in us to will and to do what God would will for us to do. Now I know for all of us, I wish that the spirit of Christ would work a little faster in my life. 
I wish his work would be a little more evident. The work of replacing my heart of stone with a heart of flesh. In my experience, the work of the Spirit of Christ requires patience and it requires our cooperation. But as we learn to listen to the gentle promptings of the Spirit of Christ in our lives, our lives, our hearts, our wills, our desires will begin to look just a little, little bit more like his. Let me conclude. I began this sermon by stating that this was the end of the wilderness journey, and that's not entirely true. The wilderness journey does not end for the people of God at this story, and the wilderness journey does not end for any of us. It will only end on that day when we finally cross the River Jordan. And during our wilderness journey, we will all face the types of challenges that God's people faced. We are all facing some challenges now. Throughout the wilderness journey, the people's greatest challenge was not the challenges that were out there. It was not the challenge to hear God's will or to understand God's will. The basic problem of God's people then and now was a problem that their hearts just didn't love the things that they ought to love. And therefore, the remedy was a new heart, a new person reborn from the inside. In order to have the thing that we need to have, a new heart, I suggest three simple steps. One, we have to reckon with the heart we have. It is just not good. Non nobis domine, not to us, Lord, but to your name give glory. We have to reckon with the curse and the cursed. Not just a passing glance that Jesus died for the sins of the world, but he died for you. And third, thank God that he has provided his Holy Spirit to help us walk in his ways. So may God give to each of us what we need to walk in the ways that he has for us to walk. A new heart, a circumcised heart, a reborn again man or woman. Amen.